Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Rishi Desai, and today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to be joined by Sebastian Voss, currently the Chief Business Officer of Turnitin and was recently the CEO of ExamSoft. ExamSoft helps academic institutions improve student learning with secure assessment tools and software that provides valuable data and insights and reports. His career has focused on identifying opportunities and implementing strategies that enable businesses to achieve their full potential. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm curious, thinking about your role with ExamSoft and Turnitin, what insights have you seen in terms of like how education has shifted or moved in the last 12 months that may be not in the mainstream discussion, things that are maybe nuances that you would pick up on that, that most people may have missed? It's a great question. And, and where I thought you were going to ask is how I've seen it shift because I've been at it for a while in, in ed tech. And look, if I think about the short term, historically selling ed tech, once you get out of, con- right? So the first thing that happened in education largely was a content, right? So content moved from whatever, print to digital format. And that was sort of the first transformation. And then secondly, I would say it was a tool transformation. And then thirdly, it's been like, I would say activating content within a tool. So we're sort of in this third phase, which is where we are today. I would say the biggest shift that we're seeing is that for a lot of programs, they've, I think, struggled to make the the full-on decision top to bottom that they were going to join the 21st century and grab t- and, and really use digital technologies to improve the teaching learning process. I think what you've seen by the whatever the COVID epidemic or pandemic has done is it's broken that model. So it's no longer what digital, like, should we be using digital tools or how are we going to use digital tools? It's like, which tools are we going to use and what, and how are we going to implement them that makes the most sense to help our mission, right? And educating students, but also not breaking the faculty, right? Because they're under a huge amount of stress because they were told two days before spring break, right? Like, Hey, when we come back from spring break, you're teaching online full time. Yeah. And many of them have either had no experience in what that looked like or how to go to a hybrid model. And I think the ability of that transition is very difficult on the faculty. Not all faculty, of course, some of them are get it, no problem. But I think there's, especially in health, I think there's been a big shift for them. Are there any features that you've come to realize about the faculty that have been able to adapt well versus those that have not been able to adapt well? Any, any sort of predictive features? No, I think, you know, for us, we are exam soft, we are an assessment product. So the paper and pencil is largely our biggest competitor, right? People mm-hmm. are used to blue books and bubble sheets. And, you know, historically, what we would sell, we almost had to do two sales. The first sale is like, you should not be using paper and pencils, you should be using technology. And then the second sale was you should be using ExamSoft's technology. COVID did away with that first discussion. Yeah. Because they realized they couldn't assess their kids in, a, in an appropriate, fair way when they're remote. And so what, what you're seeing is that that's gone away. It's just a matter of what tools they want to use and when and how they were going to pay for it because budgeting is always a problem. Like, especially like it was to be fair last spring, right? You know, I call it the toilet paper buy. People just bought anything they could. Everything that wasn't nailed down got purchased. And now I thought in the beginning of this fall, you started seeing schools being much more thoughtful about what they're purchasing. And I think they're going to, they're continuing that process of looking about what is actually making a difference. What tools, content that I've purchased 
really are helping me. You know, the story for me is novice to expert. How am I taking my students from novice to expert? And what tools are facilitating that for me or either helping the students along that journey or helping my faculty to help my students along on that journey? And so I, for me, it's a lot about like you ask for features or signals. It's about who's willing to go through that change management, right? Because change is hard. And you have faculty who have done, have taught a certain way. They're using the same materials they've used for a while. And all of a sudden, none of that works because none of the kids are in front of them. They're all remote. They're all, how do you engage them when they're sitting, we're sitting at home and we're all talking and communicating via Zoom. So it's all about how do you keep your students engaged and how do you know they're learning what they need to learn and how can you assess them in a way so you know, like where are their strengths, where are their weaknesses and are they progressing? Right. And if, you know, if we're talking about health, like, are they ready for licensure or not? If I'm talking about the students, if I'm an institution, I'm like, am I doing what I need to do? Because their accreditation view, I'm not going to get a pass from accredit from my accreditors. So how do I make sure I'm still on path and not to make sure that I'm going to, you know, clear what the, when the accreditors come in and actually do their reviews. So I think we're trying to, you know, we talk about all of that with us at ExamSoft, one of the big things we talk about with our clients is about the data. Like, are they willing to engage about having data discussions? And if they are, then they're really ready to buy. Because that's, at the end of the day, what digital gives you that paper can. Does that make sense? Or Yeah, it totally makes sense. And, and it kind of strikes me, there's an old cartoon that I've seen where a guy is looking for his keys underneath a, a light. And they say, well, where did you lose your keys? And he's like, over there in the dark area. Like, why are you looking here? And he's like, well, this is where the light's at. Right. And it's, it's one of the things that strikes me with exams and you talk about kind of going from novice to expert. I'm curious, like, do you, do you get questions from faculty around things like, you know, how do we make sure that this exam, this digitally proctored exam is capturing the things that we need to capture? Like, how do we know that what you're counting counts and that what counts can be counted? It's a good question. So one of the, the key features of ExamSoft is everything can be, we, we call them categories, but it's think of it a taxonomy. Everything can be tied to a taxonomy. And so if you are, I don't know, let's pick a, if you're a, a medical program, you can tie every question you do to the USMLE, or you can take it back to standards and you can have unlimited, each question can have unlimited amount of categories. So one set of categories can be your syllabus. One can be your course level objectives, one and another one can be USMLE standards or the NCLEX standards or whatever standards you need. One can be Bloom's taxonomy. And so right early on, you're just like, can you regurgitate the knowledge? Are you gaining the knowledge you need? And then you can work your way through Bloom's and then you can keep working your way through to make it towards the end, because then at the end, you can take this because you've tagged everything as you've gone through your assessment, you can actually start seeing like are my students progressing and learning what they need to learn, where are their strengths, where are their weaknesses? And you can share that with the student. You can also get a feedback directly from, you know, as you look at your data to say, like, are my questions any good? Like, if everybody's getting the, all the questions right, you're probably, your, your assessment's not right. If you know everybody's picking A and B on a multiple choice question, C and D as distractors are rubbish. So you probably want to go back and visit, revisit that. You know, there's a lot of tools we provide to get that data so you can expand the spotlight in your, like in, as a cartoon to try to get the, we try to move that light and make it as broad as possible. And then also allow you to focus in and exactly where you want, right? Cause you're, so your keys are offline. Let's just focus my keys over there because for Sebastian, that's his weakness. That's where we need, to, that's where he needs to focus, right? It's, I'm fine on the knowledge on the cardiovascular system, but my ability to synthesize is terrible. 
So that's where I need Sebastian needs to focus. He doesn't need to worry about anything else. And for, for Rishi, it's completely different. He needs to focus over here and he has a totally different set of study plans we need to put in front of him. And then as an administrator, I can go back and say, God, every time we have a, a question or assignment that touches pharmacology, our average grades go down. I might have a curricular problem in my you know, pharmacology, so I better, it's something I can address. Hopefully that makes sense. It does, it does. You were very kind with the way that you framed Rishi as a student, because if you knew Rishi as a student, you'd realize that he needs a whole individualized education plan. And Oh, look, yeah, I'm remedial as well. So I'm totally <laughs> like, my spotlight is really broad. Right. It also kind of gets me thinking, you talked about the fact that you're obviously moving more into digital and like using technology to, to assess students. What about the notion, I'm just curious how, how you think about this, where one says, well, you know what, when I met with Rishi in person, lovely kid, super book smart, but gosh, he's just so awkward with, with patient interactions and doesn't really engender a lot of trust. And like, I, I can't get him to give eye contact for the life of me. Yep. And especially with like a nursing job or a medical job, like those kinds of pieces are critical. How does one assess that effectively using technology? And, and I don't mean to say it has to be all be one tool, but like, what are your thoughts on that broadly? Yeah, I, well, it's super important, right? And especially if you're thinking about health or law or a lot of these careers where you have to interact with humans, right? It just, you have to, right? You're not an actuary science person who's just going to sit and churn on, on your documents all day. You actually, you know, unless you're a radiologist who are sitting in the dark, most medical professionals have to interact with humans. And so that's why we, we I mean, ExamSoft provides a tool that does that. We have a, it's called Exam Score. It's like a rubrics-based solution where you can, I just call it, you can make the whatever is subjective objective. And so I, that can be, as your rotation, I can track you. And again, with categories, I can come back to you and say, like, here you are in your patient side, your, your skill side is phenomenal, right? Like how you take care, like everything you do on the skill side is fine. Your human side is terrible. And here, here are your marks. And by the way, you're not getting any better because I've got the data from day one when you didn't know anything to day, you know, 365, one year from now, and you're still not, you're still failing in the same kinds of ways. And you can track that or you're getting better, like you're making eye contact, but you're not, you're not talking to the patient. And part of that tool is also like, we call it an auto fail function where, I don't know, like you're about to administer a drug and you haven't checked the armband. Right. I, I can auto fail you. You can continue with the skill. So you did all the skills right, but you still failed because you didn't check the armband or you didn't wash your hands before you started or you didn't greet the patient. That makes sense. And so we try to like, you know, it's about assessing the whole like the whole experience. And that depends, you know, program by program. It's all slightly different. Right. Whether you're a, a phlebotomist or whether you're a doctor, like there are differences in what you're trying to do and the whole learning process. And we try to provide tools to assess that whole experience. It seems to me, you know, I trained in medical school. I went through medical school two decades ago. And when I was going through, the technology in my phone was not what it is today, right? And so I had a yep. pretty basic phone at the time. And its main job was to make calls. Today, its main job is to get me data, right? And so nowadays, like when I'm seeing patients, you know, I can't even imagine seeing a patient and not at least referencing some data source at least once. Like most often I'm referencing at least one data source. And so it seems like more and more, it's not about like, you know, what's between my ears. It's really about like, can I access the right data source to get what I need at a given point in time? Yeah. And so then those soft skills end up being the critical ones, right? Like talk to anyone nowadays and like the biggest problem is like, 
the doctor is hardly visible because they're behind a computer screen because they're referencing something in their EMR. The nurses like quickly, you know, nurses generally get better scores on this, to be honest, but but still like quite busy with other stuff and and maybe kind of inputting data into a computer screen. So that social piece seems like it's more and more and more relevant. I'm curious, like, do you get that signal from schools? Like, are they asking and inquiring more and more about kind of soft skills training and soft skills assessments now versus, let's say, a decade ago? Yeah, it's a good question. And I don't hear a ton of that. I think more and more schools are doing like OSCEs. And, you know, on the medical side, I would say in Europe, which I think they've been more driven towards OSCEs for longer, I think you're starting to see that much more like whether it's patient actors or simulators are doing something where you have to interact with humans because of the phone, right? And the today's generation, and I, as soon as those words go out of my mouth, I feel old and stupid. But they're not, you know, they're more interacting with their phones and then like looking down. Like my daughter, if I go out and she's with like seven of her friends having a good old time, most of the time they're on their phones. They might be chatting with each other on their phone, but they're all on their phones looking down. When I was a kid and went out with like seven friends, like it was just loud, like every because everybody's talking and yelling at each other and doing whatever. And I think it's that you know, that generation of like, you have to interact with other humans directly and giving them those, that skill to do so is, I think, I think it's becoming more and more important though. I haven't heard it as much outside of maybe, as I said, sideways coming at it through like using OSCEs or more simulated or with either actors or, or you know, the, the mannequins, those kinds of activities and getting them out of the textbooks ends up being a helpful character here to help kind of play this out a little bit. Like, what do you imagine would be the key needs then of ExamSoft or Turnitin in the next five or 10 years? Like, what's the direction these platforms are going to go to help meet the needs of, of folks like your daughter? So I think the big thing is moving from, I think you're going to still have the big set pieces as they were, those final exams. The thing that we're working towards is that very, you know, what we say, low friction assessments. You walk in, you don't know what you're going to see. You're on your rounds, right? And you don't know what you're going to see. Oh, this is it, like whatever. Uh, first visit post-op hip surgery. Well, I, I, I've never done this before. What do I do? You hand your phone to your clinical advisor who's going to grade, and you're like, you start in. And it might be, all I'm going to get graded on is my communication. How did I handle the patient? How did I talk about it? Not how well you actually did the medical aspect of it. That could also be part of it, but also how you're doing it. And then gathering that data and seeing how you progress from whatever, your first year to your third year, fourth year, fifth year, you know, how are you scoring? And we should see you improve. It should be pretty rubbish in the beginning and get better, right? It shouldn't be like, well, for a first year, he did pretty good. Like, no, that's not good enough. We should be marking you as like, you're a doctor, right? Well, you're, you're here. And you're not good at it. You need more experience. We need to train you on it because we would we would do this. We would have that same expectation of you from a, I guess, medical side of it. Like, do you know what you need to do? Are you have you done that correctly? And so it's that very quick, frictionless. It's three minutes, four minutes. Like I'm just hand. Like it's on my phone. Here it is. Oh, I, I don't. I don't even know you. You're going to take my phone. You're going to do my assessment. I'm going to do this thing, and I'm going to have a hundred of those over my career as a student as well as those big set pieces as well, like that are also in there. But I think it's a very quick, and that's not just for whatever medicine that can be, you can be a car mechanic, right? And it's like, I'm turning a wrench. Am I turning my wrench correctly? 
And it's a very quick, very, we just call it frictionless. It doesn't take anything to get started and work on. I think that aspect of almost, I don't want to call it because there's a term authentic assessment. I don't quite think it's, we're quite there, but it's that very quick, very point. And then you come back and then you, you go sit with your advisor and you've got 30 of these that you've done. And he's like, wow, it looks like, you know, your skills are pretty good. You, I see the improvement. You're not exactly where you need to be, but you're, you're making progress. And here's how you need to continue to work on so you can move on as a whatever medical professional, or, you know what, maybe you're just not good with people. Maybe you should be on the lab side. You know, I, I've seen a similar trend with learning. Like if you divide the world into learning and assessment on the learning side, it used to be these like large four hour long and then one hour long lectures. And now they're like these little micro videos. And with assessment, same thing, you know, I'm in pediatrics and it's now I do my quick kind of quarterly assessment instead of a five-year assessment. Do you see that happening more in the US or do you see that happening around the world? For example, are we at the bleeding edge of kind of these frictionless assessments here in the US or is Canada and the UK and Australia kind of way ahead of us on that front and we're just kind of playing catch up? Like, what's your sense on that? My sense is that, you know, I always think Australia is pretty advanced in some of the thinking they have. It's a small, it's a small community. They're very global in their, in their viewpoint. They, they sort of, because they, a lot of, they travel, they do, they'll do their residencies or postdocs in other places and they seem to come back and take the best of what everybody's doing around the world and can get things implemented. You know, in Australia, we see a lot more that's drive to do like authentic assessments. So much less the, like, I'm going to fill out a bubble sheet. And much more like we're gonna have a conversation and it's gonna be almost like a super OSCE, but instead of a instead of like maybe a carousel, I'm spending an hour doing one thing or a half hour doing one thing. The UK, some of their institutions, we see them on this like micro assessment. They seem to be taking a lead. Uh University of Liverpool is doing a lot of interesting work there. I'm sure it's happening here in the US. I'm 100 percent sure. I'm not sure it's I don't think there's a groundswell for it yet. And I think maybe without, you know, if COVID never happened, maybe at this point we would be hearing more about it. I just think there's so many programs now that are struggling to figure out what do we do and, you know, with COVID. I think normal undergrad learning is going to move more towards a micro assessment. There'll still be the big finals, but instead of whatever, two big exams and five papers, I think they would much rather have like a series of lightweight assessments that go on and still maybe you're having your final. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I, I can definitely see it moving in that direction. And and I believe like it might even get to the point where it's just a string of micro assessments all the way through that may not even end on the last day of class, but may continue on at a lesser frequency beyond that last day of class just to see almost like kind of a CME applied to undergrad. Yeah, well, I, I think one of the complaints hospitals always have when they bring on people out of uni- out of the universities is that how expensive it is of all the training they still need to do. Exactly. Right. I mean, and, and you're, you, and, and you've lived it, right. And I, I've only seen it, but you'd go talk to a chief nursing officer at a, at a major hospital. And their number one complaint is I did, I bring in all these nurses from great schools that, that sm- they smash their NCLEX. They're super smart. And I still got to train them for three months before they're actually useful. And I think that's where I think you're going to see, that drive towards that micro assessments that they're going to keep pushing that on. It may not be necessary quote for licensure, which, you know, I think some people would see, I think what you're going to see is it's going to be almost like a CME or whatever CNE or some sort of CPD kind of aspect, like for you to keep progressing, 
or to keep my whatever magnet status as a hospital, I am going to need to continuously assess my staff all the time. I wouldn't be surprised if we started seeing that, as, as you said, they'll start at the big hospitals and big programs, right? So whatever you're in Boston, bring in women's will do it before you start seeing it at the community hospitals. But I start, that's what I think I would expect happening is that you're right. I think it moves, even though it stops in the classroom, it keeps going on. Yeah. And I think it's for the point you mentioned. I mean, employers want to try to trim down that three-month training window to 10 weeks, eight weeks, six weeks. They want to see any incremental improvement there that they can. And anything that proves that that can be trimmed down, I think will be worth it to the employer. And then that's what will get financed. And then once there's a business engine around it, then you see more education go in that direction. You know, I, I do want to give you time to teach us something. You're you're, you're aware we're a teaching company. And, and one of the things that I, I like to do is to fill in any knowledge gap that our learners may have that I might have with anything that, that may be a myth. It could be something that you commonly have to kind of teach or remind people of. Is there anything out there that, that you feel like you could impart upon us that, that would help fill that kind of a knowledge gap? And it could be on any topic. Maybe I'm too humble. I don't know what I, what I know. I, look, I, w- I would say, I think... The teaching learning process is amazing. The The problem we have is, it's a joke I tell, but if you could take Socrates, right, go in your Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure time machine and bring Socrates and drop him in a classroom, he knows exactly what's going on, right? Because education hasn't changed in 2,500 years. And that's okay. The model seems to work all right. And I'm not promoting like whatever sage on the stage versus God on the side, That like that's too trite. But I think taking what the rest of the economy has moved towards is this data-driven decisions. And I think education is lagging in that. And I think anything we can do where we use the good outcome data to help improve education is, is super important. And an example I'll give you is we have a client that takes our assessment data over time and regressed it with, merged it with their SIS data and, and to get all the demographics and whatnot. And then regressed it and realized so they could identify students that were going to be retention and attrition risks, identify what those profiles look like, and then make interventions in August instead of waiting for January or December when they're going to fail out because they're, you know, when they're going to attrit because they're failing or later on in the program and, and using the data to help drive those learning outcomes. And how can you help your students? How can you help your faculty if you're in administration? How can you help the whole school move better and become a better institution? Because at the end of the day, right, if you're not giving value for money, if I can't get students who, you know, can get become employed, whether you're in health or whether whatever you whatever you want to do, if my faculty aren't engaged and want to help that student on those journeys and be on that same kind of journey, how can we help those things? And to me, that's all about the data. And you have to have good data, right? It's not about rubbishy data. but and, and so for me, it's about get at the data, scratch at it, work at it, figure out what makes the most sense. Like I, our tool at ExamSoft gives amazing data on helping those kinds of things. But there are other sources of things that work. Bring it together. Think about it. Because every other major part of the economy, that's exactly where they're going, right? Amazon knows more about you and your shopping habit than anybody else. Educators can have that kind of knowledge without being creepy about it, but can share that with you so you can go on your personal journey. So if you're in medical school, they know exactly where your strengths and weaknesses are and tell you, don't bother studying this stuff. You know this stuff. You're smashing it. Where you're having problems are in this, like 
these areas at this level at Bloom's taxonomy. This is where you need to spend your time. And I think if we can get education at that point, I think we'll be in a, I think our education system will have taken a giant step forward. And quite honestly, we can, you know, we would, as the U.S. education system would probably be, you know, way ahead of almost everybody at that point, because nobody's outside of some of the smaller systems, nobody's really using data the right way, holistically. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and I'm going to ask you for a specific number here. So, so be, be forewarned. Let's say, let's say one is disappointed, sorely disappointed, and 10 is just thrilled. How do you th- think Socrates would react if you dropped him in like you, like you just suggested? Do you think you'd be kind of enamored with our current educational system, a, a full 10, a one? Because gosh, what are we doing given all the other technology that we have? Like, wh- what is your sense? You know, again, depending, I think it's, you know, it's almost unfair, right? Because I now have to average out. I think there's some programs that are doing amazing things. And, you know, if I took the average program, I probably, I think you would say, given everything that we know, we are doing an amazing job using an old technology to get the, get it into kids' heads. So in that sense, probably a six or a seven or five or a six, it wouldn't take much real effort to go get that to a nine or a 10. But I think we just have to, we have to use better tools, right? There's so much information. And as you said, like, you know, I'm old. When I went to school, like we just walked around and didn't know stuff because Google didn't exist, right? We would pull, if, if, you know, I tell my daughter, like, hey, when we were a kid, like we just didn't know stuff. And you just would walk around and you would find something up because somebody told you like, oh, that's amazing. Because if it wasn't in the Encyclopedia Britannica, you had no way of finding anything else out. Now you have Google, like you just Google everything. And, you know, what you need to have is better tools to say that, is this resource, this source right or wrong? Is it reputable or not reputable? But at least you can always find an answer to something. And so we need to move on beyond the aspect of, do you know the answer? You don't need to know the answer. Google can tell you the answer. And you can know, like, if it's around whatever, the CDC is a good site. If they have something on it, I can, that's a reputable site. I can move forward or NIH or a journal, a good journal site. What I need to figure out is, based on what the knowledge that site is giving me and the person in front of me or the situation in front of me, can I synthesize it and then apply it? And those are the skills that I'm not sure we're doing a good enough job on. Yeah. And that's a fantastic point to end on. And you, you did mention the, f- the phrase rubbishy data earlier, and it kind of gets to the idea of like distinguishing rubbish from you know, value is the critical skill. Correct. And I think content is the same way, right? So how do you know you have good questions, right? Just because everybody scores 100 doesn't mean they're ready to take your board exam. And I can tell you how many clients have come to us and say, I don't know why my pass rates from my boards are so poor. My students are doing great. Well, let's look at your items. Well, everybody, of course, because your items are all knowledge-based and you're basically teaching to the test. And so, of course, they're going to do well. And then they sit for whatever the board exam and they get smashed because they're not ready for the exam. And in many cases, probably not ready for for life after the exam as well. Correct. Well, listen, this has been an absolute pleasure. Chatting with you has, has been a lot of fun for me. Thanks for sharing your wisdom and your your ideas. Uh, I think that they're very powerful ones. Uh, Rishi, thank you very much for the invitation. I really enjoyed it as well. Well, listen, I'm Rishi Desai. Thanks for checking out today's show. Remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. 
You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. <laughs>